to Ephesians chapter 6. If you are using one of the Bibles in the back of that pew, it's page 979. Pastor Kyle got us started last week in the Schemes and Victories series. I'm going to pick it up this week. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 6. And normally, I guess, I don't know if I would say normally, but sometimes uh, the introductory comments that a speaker, whether that's a preacher or whoever, are usually throwaway or often considered throwaway material. But I, I really want to encourage you, do not throw this away. Let's really listen, even as I begin to say what I'm about to tell you. The church is under attack by three enemies. Every Christian has three formidable enemies. And their tactics or their schemes are not new. There is nothing new under the sun. What we are experiencing now was already experienced 3,000 years ago in Israel. You're going to see that. It's going to blow your mind over the next four weeks. To see that what is happening today happened then. The gods have just changed their names. And they've been relentlessly, these schemes, carried out throughout human history all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. But we need to identify the enemy. Can't really fight effectively against that of which you do not know. So let me identify them from the word of God. So let God identify them for us from his own word. Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to flip back, probably one or two pages. And it says this in verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you, would, in which you once walked, following, here's one enemy, the course of this world. That's this world system. Following, number two enemy, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, and here's your third enemy, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. So we've got three enemies, they're identified, we've got the devil, we've got the world system, and we've got our own flesh. We're going to unravel those in the weeks to come. We're going to unravel the devil today, but let me give you another glimpse in the Word of God of the presence of these three enemies that are the foes of every Christian. This is from James chapter 3. Look at verse 15 up on the screen. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This is not God's wisdom, but is earthly, worldly, unspiritual, flesh, Demonic, the devil. So we've got the same three enemies in James chapter 3, verse 15. And in fact, they are all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New. The devil, the world system, the flesh. And they always and consistently oppose God's people. And here's what I really want you to understand. They lurk in the shadows until they're ready to bring their schemes out in the open. They lurk in the shadows until they bring their schemes out into the open. But up on his throne is Yahweh, our sovereign God, 
who with unopposable power overcomes all of those enemies. And over the next five weeks, what we're going to do over the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to pull back the curtain and we're going to expose several of the major schemes of the devil that are coming against the church today so that we can stand firm in the power of the gospel. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you stand with me as we read... Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. We stand in honor of the word of God, and it begins like this in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, the Apostle Paul asks, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You may be seated. I'm going to present four points to you in this message, and all of them press towards the fourth, which is the most encouraging one, but the first one is this, our spiritual enemies recycle the same limited strategies, the same limited schemes. Look at verse 10 again in Ephesians 6, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The schemes of the devil. The word schemes in the Greek means wiles, it means plans, it means strategies. But what you need to know is that while the devil has wiles, plans, strategies, and schemes, he patiently waits to execute them. And he does not have unlimited strategies, but he repeats them again and again. He doesn't have unlimited strategies, but he's very good with the ones that he has. In fact, the Bible gives us several names for the devil by which his schemes can be revealed. Well, the name that we are most familiar with when it comes to the devil is Satan. The word Satan means opposer or adversary. 
So he's always an adversary of the church, an adversary chiefly of Jesus, but he's an adversary of every Christian. He goes by, or he's called the devil. The devil is the chief enemy of the church. His very name, here's what it means. It means to slander and divide. Listen, if anybody ever slanders you, they're meaning to tear down your character. Well, immediately, this is how you stand firm in the armor of God. This is what the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth will tell you. That's not coming from God. For the Heavenly Father does not speak that language. It's coming from the devil. And he is opposable. Jesus called him Beelzebub, a name that means Lord of the Flies. That was a pagan idol, supposedly, that could protect you from... Uh, swarms of flies, but the, but the Jews understood it as the God of filth and impurity. Do you want to know what the demonic power energizing pornography and prolific hypersexuality in this country? It is Beelzebub. He also has the name Belial, which was a false god that diverted people from worshiping Jehovah. Do you know people who are Christians who seldom make it to church. They're too tired. They're too busy. They just don't feel like going to church today. They've got too many other things going on in their afternoon. I'm telling you, Belial, that's one of his schemes to distract God's people from worshiping him. He is called the evil one, the Greek word for absolute corruption, as well as the angel of the bottomless pit, the apostle Paul calls him the tempter. Jesus referred to him as the prince of this world. He is the father of lies. He is the accuser of the brethren. All of these names, all of these titles for the devil reveal his schemes. And they all work towards three chief goals that Satan has and Jesus reveals in John 10.10. He has come to steal and kill and destroy. The devil cannot do anything but those three. He wants to steal and kill and destroy, and he is extremely good at what he does. In fact, he's so good, friends, Christian. I want you to hear this. He knows our weaknesses better than we know our weaknesses. He knows our vulnerabilities better than we understand our vulnerabilities. He has schemes that he has already concocted that he won't set into motion for a decade until the moment is right, but they're already there. And when he puts them into motion, they will come against you and they will come against me. It's his full-time job. He does not take weekends off. He blinds the eyes of unbelievers. He darkens their understanding. Do you not find it so odd when somebody whose life is spiraling down into destruction and ruin, they're clearly not happy, and you hold out to them the gospel of hope found in Jesus, and they just cannot seem to believe it. They cannot seem to be interested in it. This is what the devil's doing. He's blinding their eyes. He's darkening their understanding. He's working to destroy destroy God's church. He's working to discredit your faith. He's working to prove your faith failure and to reduce your life to shame and despair. 
He rages against every Christian. Why? Because he hates Jesus above all. And we, church, are the bride of Jesus. Oh, he doesn't just dislike you. Listen, set the truth in your mind. Put it deep in your soul. He absolutely has a malevolent, hateful rage against you and against me. And his schemes are intended to destroy you. Therefore, we have been given, Ephesians 6, the whole armor of God as our protection. And it enables us to stand against the schemes of the devil, but the devil does not work alone. So we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit more. Point number two, false gods and false religions are demonic inventions. For we do not wrestle, verse 12, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, I know when you hear me say that false gods and false religions are demonic inventions, you might be saying in your mind right now what most of us usually say about this, of course. Of course, false religions are strategies of the devil, but that's not what I'm saying. What I believe Scripture is making clear, and I'm going to make it abundantly clear to you in just a few minutes, that while false gods and false religions are, in fact, the schemes of the devil, listen, this is critical, there are personal, specific, powerful, demonic entities behind them. If your thought was that a group of men and women hundreds of years ago, maybe thousands of years ago, or maybe a decade ago, sat around and came up with a plan to concoct a religion, that it's just a solely human invention, then you don't, my friend, understand the word of God. You do not yet understand the role of the demonic entities. They are coming from Demons. Let me show you this in Deuteronomy chapter 32. This is Moses writing. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. Israel stirred God to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. Listen and watch. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods. You pour out your drink offering to Baal or Ashtoreth or Moloch or any of the other Canaanite, Moabites, later Greek or Roman gods or goddesses. You pour out your drink offering, you make your sacrifice, you're not making it to a god, you're making it to a demon that has taken the form of a false god. You see, idols and false gods and false religions are demonic in origin, they are the schemes of the devil. In fact, Moses says there in verse 17 that there were new gods that had come recently. What we're going to see over the next four weeks is that the new gods are only the old gods with different names. The new gods today in America are the old gods having taken different names. And we're going to pull back the curtain and expose their identity. 
Look at it. Maybe you don't believe this yet. Maybe you're not quite convinced. Let me take you to Leviticus 17.7. I could take you to 1 Corinthians as well. We probably will next week. But here's what Leviticus 17.7 says. So shall, they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. They're not sacrificing to a God, to a powerful entity of which they hope will deliver them and give them what they're craving. They're sacrificing to demonic entities. In fact, later rabbis began to picture the devil in the form of a goat. You've seen pictures of this with cloven hoofs and furry legs. There are specific demons Powerful, personal demons behind false religions, behind false gods, promoting their worship. They are the schemes of their commander, who is the, the devil. But bring you back to Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Look what we wrestle against. Rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers. These are demonic entities. These are not earthly kings and presidents. The devil has a battalion of fallen angels, demons, and they are rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. They're not just synonyms either. In fact, one of my favorite commentary writers, the late James Montgomery Boyce, he was a prolific writer. He pastored 10th Street Presbyterian down in Philadelphia. He said this, and it's helped me greatly, and this is from James Montgomery Boyce. Rulers are demonic governors over certain territories. Authorities are the demonic manipulators of cultural values, and cosmic powers are demonic powers seeking to influence areas such as education, media, and politics, to name but a few. Here's what we're learning, and here's what I'm telling you. There are demons who stand behind certain powerful, influential human figures and companies and countries, and they are motivating and empowering those countries and countries and individuals to bring about the schemes of their general Satan. Now, some of you have got to be skeptics at this point, and I wouldn't blame you a bit. Because we're pragmatists. This is what makes America great. If you can't see it, touch it, smell it, shape it, use it, if it's not effective, then it doesn't exist. That's what pragmatism is. And we built this country on pragmatism. So to give you a peek behind the curtain to the battle below the battle, for some of us, even if we're Christians, I'm not really sure about this. So I've got to make you sure. And to do that, we're going to go to point number three. There is a spiritual battle going on behind the scenes. I'm going to ask you to turn to Daniel 12. Let's all turn to the Old Testament, Daniel 12. Go to the middle of your Bible and hang a right. You're eventually going to find it. It's after Isaiah, after Ezekiel. And as you turn there, let me explain what was happening in this book. Israel's southern kingdom, Judah, had been conquered by the most powerful nation in the world at that time, Babylon. 
Daniel was one of the Jews living in Jerusalem. He was a young lad. He is taken to Babylon. He is a cream of the crop. He is brought up into a position of influence. Just like God said, the Jewish people would be in captivity for 70 years. And during that captivity, Babylon began to wane as an empire and Persia began to rise. And Persia came against Babylon and conquered them. So now Persia, which is modern day Iraq or Iran, actually a little bit more, uh, modern day Iran is now the superpower of the day. And Daniel now serves the Persian kings. You know the Bible has nothing terrible to say about the Persian kings. God enacted a lot of his plan through the Persian kings. But back home, Cyrus, well, he's a Persian king. Cyrus let the Jewish people, if they wanted to, to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. A lot of them did under Nehemiah, under Ezra, under Haggai, other, other governors and prophets and priests. But not everybody went. But the ones who did go found themselves very quickly embroiled in warfare against three enemies that had surrounded Jerusalem to the north, to the west, and to the east, even around to the south. They were surrounded. And these enemies opposed the rebuilding of God's people, city, and temple. The enemy always opposes that. There's no organization on earth that is more opposed than the church. The people quickly fell into despair and discouragement and stopped building. Daniel, up in Persia, 84 years old, receives a report of God's people. They're too discouraged to build. He falls to his knees and he begins to pray and he begins to fast for three weeks, 21 days. He's praying and he's fasting for God to bring him news of deliverance for his people. Verse 8 of Daniel chapter 10 says at the end of three weeks, an angel came to him and everybody that was with him, praying and fasting with him, stood to their feet and fled in terror, leaving Daniel alone who fell to his face. Daniel is before an angel of God. And the angel said to him in verse 12, I have come because of your prayers. Do you think your prayers matter, church? is how we do spiritual battle. I have come because of your prayers. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Daniel's been praying and fasting for 21 days. The angel immediately began to come, but he could not get to Daniel because of the prince of the kingdom of Persia. But Michael, archangel, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Now let me explain what's going on. The prince of the kingdom of Persia is not a human being. Now let me say this again in case you didn't hear that. The prince of the kingdom of Persia is no human being. He is a fallen angel, a demonic ruler, a provincial governor under the superpower of Persia. The most powerful nation on earth at that time was Persia. Its demonic authority rose up to prevent 
Daniel from receiving this messenger angel, but Michael the archangel came to help. He broke away through the demonic resistance to get that angel to Daniel to deliver the good news of the gospel that God was in control. But look at verse 20. The angel told Daniel he had to return to the fight against the demon prince of Persia. But he warned Daniel, verse 20, that soon is going to come the prince of Greece. That is not a human ruler. That is a demonic one. And if you know your history, you'll know that Persia began to wane and Greece began to become stronger until Alexander the Great conquered almost all of the known world at that time. Do you really believe that Alexander the Great just had the human ability for military success? Do you really believe that's what lent him the success that he did? Listen, there was a demonic ruler, an entity behind the country of Greece empowering the success of Alexander the Great. There are rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, and too much of the church is oblivious to it. There is a demonic ruler working the schemes of its general in our country, in Africa, in Iran, in Iraq. In India, in Russia, there are provincial governor demonic rulers, and they are working the schemes of their commander, Satan. Powerful demons influencing, empowering influential leaders of countries and organizations, working out the schemes of the devil. There are lesser and greater demons working together along with the world system, pulling out the temptations of our flesh to oppose Jesus Christ, and all the while aiming to blind the minds of unbelievers and destroy the church. Now what did God do to overcome the demonic prince of Persia? What did God do to overcome the three enemies that had come against Jerusalem? He stirred the Persian king to send back Ezra, to send back Nehemiah with a Persian credit card and a warning to all three kings, if you oppose this edict to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple of their God, then you will be impaled on the beams of your house. And the city of Jerusalem was rebuilt, along with its walls and most centrally its temple. And it lends great, great traction to our fourth and final point. The victory has already been won. The victory has already been won. It's interesting to me, at least, how popular church teachings are that tell Christians to rise up and fight back. They want to militarize the church. Reclaim what is ours, they say. Redeem the culture. Get the right people in power, and we will get this nation back from God. You know, I, I do get from both campuses periodically criticism and pushback. 
How come you don't preach about politics more? I'll tell you why I don't, and it's not because I'm stubborn, although I am stubborn. You can pray for me on that. It's not because I'm stubborn. It's because I know politics aren't going to turn this nation around. They really aren't. And neither is reforming our educational system. All right, let's get a Christian on the, in the White House, the Oval Office. Let's get our educational system redeemed. It's just going to be back where it was in a decade. The solution is not politics. The solution is not education. But don't misunderstand me. Do we want Christians in the senatorial offices? Yes. Do we want Christians in the classroom? Yes. Do we want Christians on school boards? Yes. Why? Because we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We are to have an influence in the culture. So yes, vote. And vote along biblical lines. But don't put your hope in politics. You're doomed to despair. Church, our hope is in Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. And this is what we learn from 2 Corinthians. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. How do we destroy them? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. It's the, it's the gospel. That's why I preach the gospel. It's the gospel that always changes hearts. And changed hearts bring changed communities. And changed communities utterly infiltrate and influence the culture. Last week, in one of our school districts, a sixth grader girl who attends our church sat in her classroom as the teacher handed out the exams that they were all about to take, and the boy next to her bowed his head to pray to himself in his own mind before he took the exam. The teacher saw it. The teacher said, What are you doing? in front of everybody. And the boy said, I'm praying, but I'm about to take a test. I'm just asking the Lord to help me. She said to him, you will not do that again in my classroom. And if you do that again, I will send you to the principal. That's in our district last week. There is a war. What do you do? What's the response? Well, let's get to that. It's important for us to see this from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil days and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. I mean, if you start at verse 10, there's four times you see the word stand. The armor of God that has been given to us, by the way, listen, that was worn by Jesus in Isaiah. He wore the same armor. And it's been given to us. It's now our wardrobe. It is nearly entirely defensive. And we are to put it on daily so that we can stand firm against the devil's schemes. We've got a belt that holds the entire armor together in unopposable truth. The lies of the devil cannot withstand the truth of the gospel. We have a breastplate 
that will protect us against the devil's slander. Have you ever been slandered? It's a gut punch. This breastplate protects you from that. We've got shoes to help us stand secure against fear, anxiety. One of the top three reasons people are going to counseling. We've got a We've got shoes of peace that give us the antidote to fear. We've got a shield to protect us against the devil's attacks. We've got a helmet, and too few Christians are wearing it, that will protect your mind from the lies of the enemy. You won't believe them, and you will see through them when you wear the helmet of salvation. We've got one weapon, and it's a weapon for offense as well as defense, verse 17. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And how do we wrestle? We wrestle on our knees, praying at all times, verse 18, in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. I had my mind blown about a month ago. A month ago, I was invited to somewhere I'd never been before, and I really don't like going to these things, but it was the Pocono Prayer Breakfast. Sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to be cynical, but I just don't like going. They're usually interfaith, which means there's imams, rabbis, Jehovah's Witness leaders, Mormons. I don't want to go be part of that. I thought that's what this was. Man, was my mind blown. Up on the stage, 400 people out and around tables. Up on the stage, about 18 men and women, some in politics, some in military positions, some in high-ranking company positions of hospitals and other influential companies. And every one of them, one at a time, came up to the microphone and called all of us to pray and to be bold with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was in tears. I was so shocked. It was such a privilege for me to be part of this. So we're not to militarize the church. We're not to go win the fight. The fight has already been won. Jesus has defeated all three enemies, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, the devil, the world system, and the flesh. They're already defeated. This is what Ephesians 1 says. God raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all Rule and authority and power dominion. That means he is sovereignly over all of it. He is powerfully over all of it. There's not, a, there's not an ebb and a flow, a yin and a yang. There's not a, you never know who's going to win. Jesus has already won. This is why J.D. Greer said it this way. Christians fight from victory, not for victory. Pound that one down in your souls, friends. We wrestle from victory that has already been won by Jesus Christ. We're not trying to gain the victory. So how do we do that as I close? This has been singularly my greatest frustration as a pastor. And I don't know the solution other than just keep encouraging and calling you to this. But I'm afraid there are a lot of Christians who think, at least they operate pragmatically, as if when those battles from the enemy come, the Spirit of God is somehow going to materialize his word inside your mind and you're going to be 
strengthened by it, I'm going to tell you that's not how the Spirit of God works. He will not materialize anything. He's on a retrieval mission. And the more you hide the Word of God in your heart, the more He will retrieve it. The more you memorize Scripture, the more you know Scripture, the more you study Scripture, the more He will bring it back up. And when those darts are coming and the lies are coming, He will bring the Word of God to mind so that you can take captive your mind and demolish spiritual strongholds. But if you don't have the Word of God in you, it will not come up. And it will be you and your power against your demonic opposition. You're not going to win. They know you too well. Why so many Christians do not love God's word, I cannot fathom it. I truly do not understand it. It's our only weapon. It's the only way we demolish strongholds. Now, I do get there's a lot of us, or some of us, honestly, there's some in our church that don't know how to read. And there are some in our church that don't like to read. But let me give you some suggestions. All you need to do is take one verse, put it on a three-by-five card, put it on the dashboard of your car, put it on your desk, put it on your mirror where you get ready, put it wherever you are a lot of your day and just continually look back again and again and again and you will be hiding that into your heart. Or you could go to an audio Bible. There's so many free ones, and they're well done, and they're all over the Internet. And all of your commute, why listen to the radio? It's an ideological tool for the enemy. Just put on the Word of God. Put on your armor. Put on your helmet. Tie it together with the gospel of peace. or Put on the shoes of peace. Tie it all together with the belt of truth. And you're going to withstand the devil's attacks. So know the word of God. Start to love the word of God. Once you begin to love it, you're going to grow in your love for Jesus. And the more you love Jesus, the more you're going to love his word because he wrote it. But let me give you two more. If you want to be victorious on that spiritual wrestling mat, and you want to stand up against the schemes of the enemy, then friends, our hearts need to be governed by love. What should the parent of that boy who was told not to pray or he'd be sent to the principal's office, what should those parents do if they're Christians? They should have love in their heart. Pray and pray and pray until God gives them love in their heart and go and meet with that teacher and boldly, boldly declare the truth. She's in need of redemption. She's in need of saving. And if you just turn a blind eye, guess what? There's another teacher like it coming around the corner. And wait till they get to college when they don't have to wait in the shadows anymore and they could come right out in the open and unfettered godless depravity come through. What's going to prepare them? What's going to help them withstand in that day? Do you know how many Christian kids lose their faith and deconstruct when they get to college? It's because the attack is no longer in the shadows. It's straight out in the open, and they're not ready for it. So parents, get your kids ready. By example, govern by love and boldly, boldly declare the truth. And if you will begin to do that, and we all begin to live like this, putting the word of God in our heart, governed by love, boldly declaring the truth, we're going to find the power in Matthew 6, 18. 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build my church in the gates of hell. That means the powers of hell 
shall not prevail against it. Listen, do not worry about the church. Do not read these polls and statistics. The church is in decline. No, it's not. No, the church is being purified. The nominal Christians that profess Christ but don't love Christ are falling away. And this is all written in the word of God. It's all part of the end times. The church can be more and is more powerful now than even decades ago. Listen, boldly declare the truth of God. Declare it, governed by love and hiding the word of God in your life. And you're going to be powerful against the three enemies that you have. Over the next four weeks, friends, I'm going to give you a bit of a, hopefully, I don't think it's a warning. I think it's an, an enticement. Your minds are going to be blown your minds are going to be blown. As I uncover for you three major schemes, four major schemes that are happening right now, they're just new gods, names, but they're the old demons. And they're out of the shadows and out in the open. And we can stand up and withstand it. Let's learn it together. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, for what we are about to learn, what we learned today. Lord, I pray that we are encouraged, Lord, to hide your word in our heart, to stand up, to do what Daniel did, pray and fast for our country, for our friends, for our schools, for our companies, for our government officials. Lord, let us pray and fast and let us fight and wrestle from our knees with the only offensive weapon we have, and that is the sword of truth, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, let us put this armor on. Let us be governed by love. Let us hide your word in our heart, and let us boldly, boldly declare it wherever we go. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.